Hello, and welcome back to Pastor Life Podcast from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. I'm Rhonda Blevins, and here, as always, with my friend, David Brown. How are you doing, David? Huh. Um, well, that's kind of a loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it sure is. We often ask, how are you doing, as a greeting, and rarely expect to hear, really, how someone is doing. Yeah, I had a church member that used to say, do you really want to know, when I would ask him <laughs> that question. As our listeners might have guessed, in this episode of Pastor Life, we're going to talk about the pastor's health and well-being, physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, professionally, and financially. That's a lot. That is a lot. So instead of asking, how are you doing, we're going to take a few minutes as pastors to reflect on how am I doing. So take a deep breath, pastor friends, and let's talk about the balanced pastor life. You know, Rhonda, I've always thought it was interesting when the flight attendants on the airplane show you how to take that oxygen mask, which gratefully I've never been on a flight where that's been needed. I'm not quite sure what I would actually do if it dropped from the ceiling in front of me. They say place that oxygen mask on yourself before you help your neighbor or someone else to get their mask on properly. I think most pastors get into the ministry because we want to help other people. We want to put the mask on them. Maybe sometimes we neglect our own self-care, and that, I think, would be to our detriment. I think I've probably had times in my ministry life where it has been to my detriment. So, Rhonda, how do you want to begin our discussion about self-care and well-being for the pastor life? Well, I want to begin with a story. I believe it's from the Buddhist tradition. It goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a pair of acrobats, and the teacher was a poor widower, and the student was a young girl by the name of Mida. And these acrobats, they performed every day on the streets in order to earn enough money to eat. Now, their act consisted of the teacher balancing a tall bamboo pole on his head, while the little girl would climb up slowly to the top. And once to the top, she remained there while the teacher walked along the ground. And both performers had to obviously maintain complete focus and balance in order to prevent injury from occurring um, and, and to complete the performance. And so one day the teacher said to the student, listen, Maida, I will watch you and you watch me so that we can help each other maintain concentration and balance and prevent an accident. Then we will surely earn enough to eat. But the little girl was wise, and she answered, Oh, dear master, I think it would be better for each of us to watch ourselves. To look after oneself means to look after both of us. That way I am sure we will avoid any accidents and earn enough to eat. Hmm. I, I love that line, to look after oneself means to look after both of us. There's a lot to that and probably a lot we can uh, dive deeper on about that. It, it, it really is that airplane example. You know, how do we care for ourselves and in, in, in doing that, free ourselves up to care for others? Yeah, I think, you know, as ministers, we know that we need to tend to our own care, but self-care for for me, for sure, and probably for a lot of ministers, it falls into that category, you know, the um, important but not urgent 
uh, I think that I think I've referred to that Covey uh, quadrant before the important but not urgent. And so too often the urgent squeezes out the important. Um, Here's an example just from my own life. Uh, Last night after I got home from church, I had to get my youngest kid to swim lessons, right? So I was planning to exercise, but then I had to be the one to take my kid to swim lessons. And that was more urgent. And it was also important. He needs to learn how to be a good swimmer, right? But that urgent and important bumped away my important uh, commitment to exercise. And it kind of just knocked it right off the dance card, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, that that definitely happens in my life as well. And, you know, especially with working from home and kids doing some amount of school from home, uh, in addition to their sports and other activities. And so, you know, I feel like sometimes it, it really is that notion of being the chauffeur or the taxi driver. And it's easy, especially with the demands of ministry and, you know, other sorts of work and family you know, all of those things that uh, are always competing. And it seems like the easiest thing to let slide can be that exercise or time alone or reading, you know, all the things that tend to to be in that self-care category. Right. Well, maybe as we think about how we can move ourselves towards a greater commitment to self-care, uh, it might be helpful to talk about what doesn't work. Mm. Um, and I think one of the things that doesn't work are the shoulds and oughts. Yep. You know, I should exercise. I should read for pleasure. I ought to be kinder to myself. Um, and when we use language like that around these commitments to self-care, we're just it's, we're just shaming ourselves. And shame is not a great tool for self-transformation. Yeah, I feel like I've heard Brene Brown talk some about that. About, oh, she talks lots about the shame, right? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. So if, if shoulds and oughts don't work to help us in terms of self-care, are there some things that you've noticed that do work? Well, let's talk about what Richard Rohr, uh, Father Richard Rohr, suggests for transformation. He says there's really only two pathways to transformation. One, he says, is great love, and the other, he says, is great suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, so change happens all the time, right? We can't we can't stop change. It's inevitable. It's part of life. But when we talk about transformation. Um, Rohr suggests that it's always a process of letting go. And when we let go of things, uh, we, you know, it's, it's disconcerting. You know, we feel unmoored or untethered. It it's, can be scary and uncomfortable. Uh, but we all know that all great stories of transformation involve the protagonist going through uh, trials that involve a letting go of sorts. Right. And there are a litany of these stories in scripture, right? You know, For sure, yeah. Abram leaving a place that he knew so well, Jonah in the mm-hmm. belly of the big fish, you know, the Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years. Jesus on the cross, hello, <laughs> right? Yeah, that with a seed falls to the ground, you know, and dies. Um, sure. So suffering. That's you know, that's really great, you know, suffering. The path <laughs> the pathway to transformation. You know, I I thought we were talking about self-care here, not suffering. Who wants to sign up for that? You know, you don't want to sign up for that course. Let me involve myself in greater suffering. I mean, I guess Jesus probably had some things to say about that, too. But 
Well, maybe maybe it's the other pathway of transformation that we could spend a little time on, the, the pathway of great love. Um, and maybe that pathway of great love can help us transform ourselves to take better care of ourselves. Uh, maybe we could even choose that pathway. Hmm. Um, maybe we can choose as pastors to accept for ourselves that love that, you know, we preach to others all the time. And maybe we can believe that that same transforming love that we confess with our mouths is also available to us, you know? We can begin to accept that we are worthy, not because of all that we do for other people, but simply because we too are children of the Most High God. And maybe, just maybe, caring for ourselves is a way to embody that love that Jesus shared with us. Forgive me if I'm <laughs> if I'm sounding a little preachy. You know, they say that um, preachers that we often preach what we most need to hear, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I think my best sermons probably fall into that category. Yeah. So this past week I went on a skiing trip. Now I haven't skied in probably it's been almost 20 years. Um, and one of the friends that I went with is over 25 years older than me. All right. She's 75 plus and she kicked my butt. She kicked my butt in every way possible, not only on the slopes, but trudging up the hill and ski boots to the lift. Um, and she was amazing. Of course, I told her she was my hero. But um, one of the gifts that it gave me, it, it was a wake up call to me that I need to start taking better care of myself if if I'm going to enjoy health and wellness as I get older. Um, and it it prompted me to take a bit of inventory, if you will, which um, made me remember a self-care needs assessment that a therapist friend shared with me a while back. Um, and I shared it with you, David. Did you get a chance to take it? I did get a chance to take it. And it was pretty thorough. I mean, it really touched on all sorts of areas of the pastor life or just the human life. It really was eye-opening in a couple different ways. Yeah, it, it kind of broke down wellness into several categories, physical, psychological, emotional, spiritual, professional, and then kind of a catch-all balance question. Right. Um, I know for me, my my worst one was around the balance. Okay. Um, and then my best one was around professional well-being. I don't know what that says about me, but how about you? How did you score? What was your uh, best and worst? Yeah, I mean, I I think I do fairly well in some of the aspects of physical care. We do a pretty good job of watching what we eat, eating healthy foods, and mm -hmm. exercising on a somewhat regular basis. The, the ones that stood out to me on that list were, I'm not great at the preventative medical care. You know, I tend uh -huh. to, to wait right. quite a bit before going to see a doctor. Um, you know, some of the things I thought were interesting on the emotional health when there was a thing to, to check for laughing and for crying. And it re yeah. reminded me there was a... a this was in Jim Valvano, who some college basketball fans will recognize that name, but the the former coach at NC State who died of cancer. And uh, there's a huge foundation and fundraising for cancer research that happens in his name. But he gave this really passionate speech at one of the ESPN award ceremonies years ago while he was still living. And he said, if you laugh, think, and cry... That's a heck of a day. <laughs> and I, I think there's something to that. I'm not saying that I, I probably do more laughing than crying, but I'm, I'm sort of a person that does get emotional about things. And, and sometimes I don't really catch when they're coming. You know, it might be a, a podcast or a, a conversation or a story on the news or something that, that does tend to hit me. 
So I, I just think there were really great things in that inventory. And I, I think maybe we'll have to share it uh, with our listeners in some way. Yeah, so let's uh, let's plan to put it on our session notes for this episode. And at the end of this self care assessment, you can it it encourages you to make commitments today, this week, this month, and this year toward greater self care and wellness. And I think as pastors, I think sometimes we need that little bit of encouragement and the challenge to commit to taking care of ourselves, to, you know, putting on that mask, that oxygen mask on ourselves before we attempt to put it on another person. Absolutely. But let's shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me uh, shift gears a bit. There's an area of wellness that you have some particular expertise around, and that's financial well-being. So how do you want to begin that topic? Yeah, I guess, you know, we have talked about all sorts of topics here already in just four or five episodes. And, you know, you've heard that phrase that there are three topics that are kind of off the table in polite company, politics, religion, and money. Uh-huh. Well, we tackled politics in our very first episode when we talked about <laughs> Christian nationalism. We're always, we're smart, are we? no, we're not. We're always <laughs> talking religion. And so, you know, I guess it's about time that we talked about money. Um, uh-huh. mm-hmm. After all, you Jesus did not shy away from conversations about money and finances and generosity, but it's often a hard conversation, I think, for churches and pastors. And I wonder if some of the reason it's hard is for some of the reasons we were just talking about in the self-care and wellness part of, of this podcast. You know, we don't want to come across as thinking too much about finances or money or... right asking for too much when it comes to our negotiations in call process or something mm-hmm. like that, or talking about a, a raise. So I, I think that sometimes as churches and pastors, we sort of push back against that conversation, and it's probably to the detriment of both the pastor and the conversa- and the congregation. Mm-hmm. The way I want to think about this is that in terms of thinking about the plans that we make and the intent that we take in our finances as pastors. I think when we're intentional about these conversations and we're we're intentional about doing our own planning, and it leads us to a place where we're confident in where we are financially and what we need and what we ought to ask for in terms of support from the congregation, I really think that's a recipe for unlocking us, both as churches and as pastors, for generous living and ministry together. So Mm -hmm. if we actually dive into the important conversations around money, I think there's sort of a payoff in the end that comes in feeling freed to really follow God's spirit. So on the side of churches talking about money, on the side of pastors talking about money, I think it's really a conversation that we ought to be having more. So how do you how do you go there? How do you get there with your church family? Obviously, we talk about stewardship. I think most pastors are at least a little bit comfortable and competent talking about stewardship. To talk about our own financial well-being, that's, for me, I grow uncomfortable around that. You know, when it comes time to talk about raises for my staff, I'm all about pushing for raises for my staff. And then like, oh, you don't need to give me a raise, right? Right. Again, (laughs) let's let's reference back up to that first conversation we were having in this pod, right? (laughs) 
you know, receiving the sort of love and knowing the value that you provide, the value that you have in God's kingdom, you know, maybe there's an element of embracing that, that each of us as pastors ought to have. Um, Not that we're going out there trying to, you know, make the big bucks and experience some sort of prosperity gospel. You know, I think we sort of push back against that maybe as intellectual pastor, scholar, you know, uh, mainline kind of right. kind of folks. Uh, we don't want... Mama needs a new Mercedes. <laughs> that's right. A, a private jet, right? <laughs> right. But the reality, I think, is that when churches and pastors have some of these conversations, there are some very simple and easy places to start that can make progress, and it can really be a win-win for the church and for the pastor. I'll kind of mention three of them real quickly, because they're areas of the pastor's financial life that tend to come up time and time again when the nuts and bolts of budgeting and stewardship and salaries, you know, when those conversations are happening, there are three areas that I think are prominent and I think they're not fully understood sometimes by either side. And there are also places where win-wins can happen pretty easily. So those three places are the clergy housing allowance, an accountable reimbursement plan, Hmm. and then coordinating with the spousal benefits if there is a a pastor who does have a spouse uh, or a significant other. So to me, those three areas are simple places where a conversation could happen And it could lead to financial benefits for the pastor at almost no cost to the congregation. Okay. So I'm finding in some of the work that I've done with clergy around these topics that just knowing a bit more about each of those areas can really make them feel more comfortable having the conversation with a finance committee or a session or a church board, you know, whatever the the proper polity is. You know, the housing allowance, we all sort of know about it if we're ordained pastors, but many pastors don't realize that the housing allowance is available to us both in our working years and in retirement. A huge way to just maximize the tax efficiency that we have is through that benefit. It's probably the biggest benefit that the federal government gives to pastors and has for quite a while. Right. And we can't say that it will always be there because there have been several challenges recently and it's still standing. But maximizing that and knowing how to maximize it can be pretty important. So, you know, I'm a few years out from retirement. I haven't thought much about the housing allowance uh, and its benefit after retirement. You know, my thought is, you know, if I can, I'll pay off my house. I won't have any debt related to my house. Um, Is You know, for instance, is that is that a good move or not so much because of the housing allowance? Yeah, I mean, there will be the possibility for you to receive funds from your retirement plan if it's a 403B, which most pastors have. That money can come to you as tax exempt in retirement for housing. So it it could be part of a smart retirement plan to build that in. 
you know, whether it is continuing to have a mortgage in some way, or maybe it's using that housing allowance to make improvements to your home, or at least to cover bills and other expenses related to owning a home. So that's a real simple way that I know I've left money on the table in the past when it comes to the housing allowance. And particularly in years when you are thinking of buying a house or doing a major renovation, it's a very good idea just to take stock of where you are with your housing allowance going into that year. All right. So the second one is the, what'd you call it? An accountable reimbursement account? Right. So with some of the tax changes in the 2017 um, tax reform bill, uh, that was the act that Congress passed in 2017. A lot of the individual itemized deductions basically disappeared, particularly for working class people. Things that we might have been able to deduct as a business expense on our individual taxes as pastors, those sort of disappeared. And so some churches already had a reimbursable plan where their pastors were able to be uh, reimbursed for ministry expenses. That's really the only way now to have that deducted from your tax liability. So if your church doesn't have that, it's very simple to set up. There are some rules and guidelines from the IRS, but if pastors are not able to itemize, this is an easy way that a church can put something into place that will lower the impact of taxes for their pastor and effectively put money in their pastor's pocket that doesn't cost the church a dime. And then the last one, you know, the the spousal benefits, you know, many pastors, many families now are two-income families. And some of our denominations do a great job of setting pastors up for retirement. You know, there's a robust retirement plan or pension plan. Some of us, you know, you and I have both been sort of in the Baptist world or the non-denominational world, and that's not always there. You know, some of it is left to us much of it is left to us on our own. But even in denominations where there's a robust retirement plan, robust benefits, coordinating with a spouse who's also saving for retirement can really help to have a a really focused plan and a tax-efficient plan for retirement and can, can help to build on what denominations offer or what pastors have individually saved and just maximize what they're doing with their spouse as well. So how would someone go about that? Probably with a financial advisor. And I think you have a disclaimer, don't you? <laughs> yes, I do. And uh, that was a great way to lead into it. So I, <laughs> you like that? <laughs> I probably should have said at the beginning that, you know, and we've probably said this on the podcast, but I wear several different hats. You know, I work with Pinnacle. I lead the welcome table. And I also uh, am an agent with New York Life. And so I probably need to say that anything that you all have heard me say during these last 10 minutes uh, is not with my New York Life hat on. This is definitely the kind of work that I have done with clergy people. But all of these things as well, you need to be talking with some of your denominational resources. You need to be talking to your CPA. This really is a coordinated effort. But I think, like we said at the beginning, this shouldn't be, and neither should politics and religion be off the table. 
but this shouldn't be a topic that's off the table. It ought to be something we're a little more comfortable talking about. And I think it would lead to a greater sense of well-being for our pastors, and it would lead to a more robust, free, exciting pursuit of the the ministry that we're called to together. If we can have, oh, for sure. If we have a certain amount of confidence in where we are financially, as well as all these other things, physically, spiritually, emotionally. If we have more confidence in the planning that we've done, more confidence in the practices that build up our own well-being, it really does free us up to do better ministry. Yeah, it's hard to do really good ministry if we're anxious about um, paying the next bill. Um, I've experienced that. I'm in a better place now, thanks be to God. But um, but probably a lot of our pastor friends know that anxiety and, and live with that even now. But well, thanks for sharing some of your um, some some of your expertise with us. Yeah, and you know, if some of us are able to put that mask on our own face, you know, then we ought to be able to share that. You know, share some of the things that we've learned and be willing to be the person that can also hold out the mask to the person who's next to us. Yeah, which is kind of what we're in this thing for, right? To uh, to be able to share those gifts with other people. Absolutely. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Pastor Live from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. Be sure and check out our website at pinlead.com slash pastorlife. That's P-I-N-N-L-E-A-D dot com slash pastor hyphen life for session notes from this and previous podcasts. You'll also want to check out the rest of the site to learn about clergy coaching, church consulting, as well as resources for leading adaptive change in your congregation. And sign up for our weekly e-news with relevant articles and other resources from our team, as well as information about upcoming webinars and coaching cohorts. So, Rhonda, how are you doing? (laughs) Well, just getting back from that ski trip, every muscle in my body aches. That's a good thing, right? (laughs) Actually, I think it probably is.